Hey, everybody. Thanks for subscribing to the Front Row Knowles podcast. Hope you're tuning in to listen on Real Talk Tallahassee 93.3 if you're in Tallahassee on a weekly basis, Wednesdays at noon. Also want to thank Seminole Boosters. Reminder, uh, if you're not already a member, jump on board to help make a great brand even greater. And don't forget, there are tickets available for Florida State's games this season. Just go to Seminoles.com backslash tickets to grab yours. That said, enjoy this week's Front Row Knowles. Good day, everybody. Tom and KJ back with you. Keith? I don't even think we were doing the day after show the last time we got to do one of these, were we? I don't recall anything like this in a while, that's for sure. I remember plenty of 59 to 3 drubbings during my Florida State history, but I don't think we were in the podcast space at this point. So obviously a lot to be pleased with, most notably that they took care of business and did what, what they hoped they would do, and that is they removed all doubt pretty early and uh, side note, UMass is not a very good football team and that's putting it politely. Well, two things. Number one, uh, and it was talked about during the, the telecast. I don't know if you're familiar with this or not, but they only have about 60 or 63 scholarships right now for whatever reason. So they were lacking in bodies and the bodies that they had were much different than the bodies that Florida State had. But we got to admit one thing. Uh, when that fumble came out, Am I the only one of the Florida State faithful are going, oh, crap, here we go again? No, I think everybody had that. And and actually, in retrospect, I'm not going to say I'm glad it, it happened, but the fact that there was potential – do you call that adversity that you're trailing UMass 3-0 uh, 20 seconds into the game, a minute into the game, whatever it was? Certainly not of the scale that – you know, maybe you have experienced or will experience going forward, but I, I like your train of thought. I like where you're going. Yeah. You know, if you'd have told coach Norvell that, uh, you know, you'd get down by 10 or, or down by three, whatever it was, and your team would have to fight back as long as you knew you were going to win. I think he would, uh, would have adopted for that. Cause again, those are lessons that uh, you have to learn uh, usually by experience. Well, so let's just start right there, Keith. Uh, you and I have long said, let's just fair catch it. But we understand at this point that Mike Norvell's philosophy is going to be to play aggressive, and he wants to teach the kids to, to bring the ball out. So they're going to keep doing that. And at some point, we'll get it right. Travis Jay had a 41-yard return or a return to the 41-yard line against North Carolina, and it was a big play in that game. He was out to the 27 or 28 and put the ball on the ground here. So we just we just got to clean that up. Um, but Do I? There, do I really, really was no doubt that? after that, though, Keith. Do, do I really have to accept that? Are you telling me I have to accept that? Because when you couple you that wanna... with two fair catches, two fair catches inside the 10-yard line, I'm here to tell you that that's not good football. It's just not. It's not working. you got to change it. All right. So we're, we are. We're going to do this. We're going to start on special teams right now is what you're telling me. <laughs> <laughs> when you put up almost 600 yards and you hold the opponent to 250 or whatever it was, you got to start somewhere. And I thought the band underperformed a little bit at halftime. Well, to be fair, uh, a lot of the folks in the band, uh, their day was several years ago and they were back for homecoming with the marching chiefs. So they're not as sharp as they were back in their heyday. Well played. Let's just do the special teams thing right now, Keith. First of all, I've, I've talked to the coaches about this, and the, the, the rule of thumb used to be that you stand on the 10 and you don't back up. And what FSU's folks have told me is that now they set that at about the seven because punters are just better at what they're doing right now. 
And then it's not a hard and fast rule that if you're standing at the seven and it goes over your head you know, and it's going to go over your head that you, you don't catch it. But they give them some leeway to say, I think that's going to go in the end zone. I'll let it go. Or I don't think it is. And they're likely to down it. So I'm going to catch it. That said, I agree with you. Definitely the second one was more of a line drive and it would go in the end zone. And Travis Jay should have let it go in the end zone. The first one I'd have to go back and look at. I'm just telling you the school of thought on it. What do you want to weigh in on that one? And then I'll give you a little bit more. Oh, don't misunderstand my comment. I know you and I have had uh, the conversation off the record. I know what you've been told, and I know why they think that. I just don't agree with it. But you may <laughs> proceed. So here's the other thing, and I did know they were going to do this. So UMass's punter, it, it's I, you know we see more and more of these rugby kicks. He basically takes the snap. And he looks downfield like he's a quarterback to see where the returner is. And then he punts a line drive away from him. And the ball, he, he'll punt it 30 yards, but it'll roll 20 yards. So this is why Florida State tried three return men. And nobody that UMass has played this year has tried three return men. John Papuch has told me he'd never used three return men in all his days as a special teams coach. But they were trying it. And so the first two punts, the one we're talking about, that, that Travis Fair caught, those were not line drive. The punter looked at it, said they got three guys. I'm just going to put it in the air. So the third punt of the game, they went back to a single return man, and he does the line drive thing, and it rolls 20 yards. So I've never seen a punter that surveys the field and does that, but that's about the best thing UMass had going for it. Well, and I think he punted six times, and one of them, when they had the three return back, the one of the upbacks tried to catch the ball and fumbled it, and right. it fell on it. It did not end, but, but – you're right. He was about 25, 28 yards deep, and, and he had to back up just a little bit, but he almost caught it, which would have been a great play to keep it from rolling like that. I imagine that that's probably something that's hard to simulate in practice, too, unless you got a guy who can, who can punt it just like the UMass kid. But anyway, Keith, I, I mean, we don't have to give him a grade on special teams. We'll agree they got to do better there. I thought some of UMass's kick returns got out a little further than we wanted at times, too. That said, they're coming off a bye week. They, they probably needed to have some live action there, get the rust off, and get ready for Clemson. Uh, the, the, the PATs, I'm happy to report, seem to be much more automatic than they were about a month ago if we're going to stay on special teams, Keith. Well, and I think both punting and, and place kicking um, have continued to show some improvement. Our, and we're, we're a little bit tongue-in-cheek, but our banter back and forth is about kickoff returns and punt returns and, and lack thereof. Yeah, exactly right. Uh, yeah, you texted me about the fair catches. I said, "Hey, at least at least the ball was caught, Keith." <laughs> that is true. We, we, I was, I was going half empty. You're going half full. <laughs> All right. So uh, enough with the special teams. The reality is, you fall behind three nothing. Yes, for a fleeting moment, we all go, "Wait a minute, really? Is is this going to happen again?" But then you watched Florida State get just chunk. I mean, they averaged nearly ten yards of play for the game. And they're, they're going 80 and 90 yard drives as if it's nothing because they're getting 20 yards at a time. It became evident in a, in a short time that Florida State was going to be able to run UMass out of the stadium. You know, FSU continued, uh, you know, their focus on the running game. Uh, they had, um, there were five different Florida State rushers that had runs of 20 yards or greater. I haven't seen that in a long, long, long time. And, um, you know, they, they need or are going to have to run the ball against Clemson if they want to have any chance of staying in that ball game. 
because that game's going to be about number of possessions, time of possessions. You're probably not going to get big explosive plays on either side. Uh, so, you know, if you're Coach Norvell and his staff would never admit to looking forward, but uh, that is a good uh, benchmark um, to have when you're going up to, to Clemson. Uh, I, I was impressed after after the uh, fumble, after the defense uh, held, uh, I was impressed. I was impressed all the way through the fourth quarter with the effort of the young kids. I mean, you saw a couple of defensive linemen in there. I didn't know who they were. You know, I, I'm going to my program and, you know, uh, who, who's that big guy with that number? Um, but the effort was there. And I, I'm glad, uh, and Bob Ferrante, our, our Osceola insider, has talked and you, you and I a little bit about the need to get some extra work for Purdy. And uh, he was a perfect five for five. I mean, I thought he threw the ball really well. I thought he made some decisions. Now, granted, he was up by five or six touchdowns. It's much easier to operate in that vein. But I thought both sides of the ball came in and after the first couple of three minutes played like you would have expected them to play. Uh, and that's all you can do in a game like this is do what's expected. Yeah, I think that's the biggest takeaway. Florida State was heavy favorites. We wanted to see, are they going to go in and take care of business? Or are they going to go in and hem and haw? And, uh, you know, you could point to some things early on and say they weren't as focused as they needed, needed to be, like the Travis J fumble. And then Ontario Wilson dropped the pass early in the game. But if you look at the thing, the, the numbers at the end of the game, uh, and even Mike Norvell at halftime talked about cleaning it up. I mean, they were winning 38 to three and he wasn't real thrilled when he talked to me because of some of those miscues, but at the end of the game, they had three penalties. And one of those was by the third team when they were in there late. I know Kenny Dillingham was really pleased. The only penalty on the offense was a pass interference on the first drive of the second half, which I'd have to go back and look at it. But I mean, there weren't any false starts and procedure type penalties. So he was pleased with that. And this is the kind of game when you would think you might lose focus, especially as the score gets more lopsided, but they didn't have any of those mistakes. Well, and we'll start with the offense since you took us down there. You know, for the bulk of the game, if not almost the entire game, they played without both of their starting guards. You know, if, if you put any credence into, you know, who has the most starts. And I think Washington moved from right tackle to left tackle. So essentially you're playing with three, quote unquote, either new or people out of position. Um, and it didn't seem to affect them. Again, again, it's UMass. But, you know, I going into the ball game, you and I didn't talk about this, but I thought that UMass's strength on defense, you know, to the degree they had one, was their defensive front. And I wasn't sure Florida State would have great success running the football, certainly not like they did. And so you're out two starters. You've got another starter, quote, unquote, out of position. I thought that was a wonderful performance by the, by the offensive line. Yeah, so let me shed a little light on that. Devontae Love Taylor could have played. He was dressed out on the sideline, uh, and it wasn't a dressed out, and he was sitting back from the team. He was dressed out, engaged. I think if they needed him, he plays in this game. But they decided to err on the side of caution with him. Dylan Gibbons went down on one of the early scoring drives. He might have stayed in for the drive. He then went into the injury tent, and then he walked into the locker room under his own power. Uh, he was walking a little slowly. I, I don't even know if I'd use the word gingerly. But it was hard to tell what really was bothering him. But I, I never saw him come back out. I never even saw him close in the second half. I don't know if the TV broadcast added anything. So I guess what I'm saying is Devontae will definitely be available next week. I don't know what, what happened to Gibbons. Understood. Right uh, again, you know, as much as we have maligned and, and in many cases appropriately maligned uh, the offensive front, I, I thought they performed well with, with a little bit of a, a handicap, if, if you want to call it that. 
Yeah, uh, and and if you're not aware, Darius Washington went down late, in the, or maybe it was third quarter, but he immediately was back in on the. He was which was the first two scoring drives when when uh, Chubba Purdy got to play. After that, you know, when you get a score like this, and this used to be the way it was in the old days, Keith, you get to play a lot of the guys with the lights on, so to speak. I mean, Chubba Purdy's been getting a lot of significant reps in practice over the last month, given either Milton's been dinged or Travis was dinged, but he hadn't had a chance in a game, and he played well. And then a lot of the linemen you're talking about, Zane Herring they think very highly of, but he hasn't been in a game until this one against UMass. And there were some others. Uh, Henry got in there. Willis got in there. Uh, Jordan Young got a touchdown, the first touchdown of his career. They just got a chance to play a lot of guys who don't normally get that opportunity, which is two things. It's experience for them, and it's resting the starters. And, and as important as both of those is morale. I mean, can you imagine, based on what we had heard, you know, just some grumblings in the running back position, uh, you know, that, you know, Tofili wasn't necessarily happy because he wasn't getting touches, and rightfully so. Treshawn Ward hadn't gotten enough touches, and rightfully so, blah, blah, blah. And now you get all of these kids, you know, getting significant time, scoring touchdowns. You know, the, the, the morale part of losing and then not getting playing time is, is just geometrically expanded. And, of course, the reverse is true. You get in there. You put 59 points on the board, everybody gets to tote the rock. Everybody has some success. You know, winning's fun, Tommy. I don't know if you figured that out in your broadcast career yet, but winning is fun. Winning is a great deodorant, and uh, winning in general, yes. It's a more pleasurable experience going to do post-game interviews if it's after a win than after a loss. Trust me on that one. I, I I know you know that. Yeah, I've been there through thick and thin over the years on a lot of tough ones, too. Um yeah, I don't know how much we can dissect on it. I mean, Travis looked good, and five different guys scored rushing touchdowns, to your point about spreading the wealth around. They seem to get out of there healthy offensively, save for we'll see what the deal is with Dylan Gibbons. Uh, from a receiving standpoint, you mentioned Toa Feely. That long catch and run by Malik McLean, Toa Feely had a great block on that run. Yes, he did. Yes, he did. Field that, that sprung the next 30 yards. I know it's UMass. But they actually put the yards after catch, the yak yards on the box score. And Florida State, candidly, for about five years, if the catch has been 10 yards, the yak has been one more yard maybe. Today, they actually had several catches with a run after the catch. And that's something that's been missing for a while. Exactly. And, and, you know, seeing the receivers with the exception of the one drop, I mean, they only completed 15, no, 10 passes in the ballgame, only had 15 attempts. Um, but that was good to see, you know, you, again, the, the, the confidence, the camaraderie. Uh, what did you think of? I don't know if you noticed this or not. It was very pronounced to me, but, uh, you know, if Shu had a week off, they have started working on expanding and dragging out that mesh point just like Wake Forest does. Did you notice that? I did notice that. I did notice. You're talking about with Jordan in particular because you had two other quarterbacks go in and it looks a Correct. little Correct, there. particularly with Jordan Travis. That mesh point is another second, a full second. It works for Wake Forest. And, you know, one of the things about Jordan, we know he's a great athlete. Um, I'm trying to think of who would would fit in this. I want to choose carefully. But he he can accelerate fast, too. It's not that just that he needs his – so if he's holding the mesh point, he can then get from zero to, to top velocity pretty quickly, which is part of the reason he's so successful as a quarterback. But I, I don't know. You'd have to ask 
uh, if it was intentional or not, but it looked like it was. It looked like it had been worked on and it looked like it worked. I was yeah. impressed. Yeah. Uh, Cam McDonald had a nice game. The, the book on UMass, when I talked to Kenny Dillingham coming in, is that on third down, uh, if they know you're throwing, they're bringing the house. And so the first drive of the game, it was maybe third and four. Cam McDonald caught it. It was a low throw, but he caught it on the sideline, got it down to about the fourth. They blitzed about seven or eight, so you know you're going to have a quick route or a hot route, and he made the catch. And then he had the touchdown catch later on, so good for him. And conversely, uh, when we haven't talked about Coach Bell, and, and obviously most of our listeners will know that uh, he was the coordinator under Coach Taggart in 18, and, and he left to take the job at UMass. But how about that? How about their great screen call when FSU was bringing the house? That, that was very well executed. That had that had an FSU style all around it, uh, and you were seeing that from the opponent. Well, certainly it was timed up right. Same thing happened in the Notre Dame game this year when Florida State blitzed. The Notre Dame had the screen call just at the right time, and they hit a big one. Um, I don't know that there's much else to take away offensively, Keith. You got a chance to play a lot of guys. We mentioned the drop from Ontario early on, but Parchment, who's not been a big part of the offense, he's kind of been hit or miss. He had a couple nice catch and runs. Jordan Young gets his first career touchdown. Cam McDonald we talked about. The blocking downfield from Toa Feely, the offensive line as a whole, even though they continue to move parts and pieces around, I, I, they're, they're playing better maybe than what the reputation has been now that they have the guys back in there. They're, they're making some progress on that OL. And, and we mentioned him, but but don't forget McLean. I thought I thought he had uh, some opportunities and took advantage of them. And he's he's a, a true freshman, correct? Yes. The only thing I would say, the one deep shot that Travis took to him, he missed him by a couple yards. But when Malik looks back to try and find the ball, he slows down a little bit. So it looks like he's overthrown by three yards, and he might have been overthrown by a half yard if he doesn't break stride or lose any speed on that. But, but here's what Dillingham will be telling Travis when they watch that on the tape. You, Travis has got to help his receiver a little bit too. You do not throw the ball where the receiver has to make the catch like Willie Mays in the outfield. you got to take him left or right a little bit, and that would have helped because then he wouldn't have had to look completely back, and, and you're exactly right. He slowed down a little bit. Uh, but that's a good teaching opportunity for both of them. Because, again, repeating myself, if Travis gets that ball a yard or two to probably the left would be where I would go, then that he runs into the ball, runs under the ball, makes the catch and scores. That's, a, that's well, well described there, Keith. Um, I think, honestly, I think the biggest takeaway offensively is that Chubba Purdy looked pretty doggone good. And, again, he goes in, there's no pressure. The game's not hanging in the balance. You're not playing a good football team. But he ran the offense. He looked comfortable doing it. I agree. I agree. And, he, you know, the biggest thing that he showed was a big smile. Because, you know, we forget he, he broke the collarbone. He had surgery. And then they had that infection. And he had to make – and they had to make the decision to, to go back in. And by going back in that second time, that took that year away. And you, you can't make that up. And for him to be able to get back out there in a situation not only to compete, but also to do well. And again, you're exactly right. Pressure's off. You're up by however many. But uh, to see that smile on his face um, was priceless. Again, back to the mental aspect of all of this. As, as we're recording, Keith, I haven't heard Mike Norvell's postgame comments. 
Uh, I did see somebody tweeted out that at a point in the game, McKenzie Milton and, and Norvell had a conversation, and McKenzie said, just play the young guys. Let's, let's get them in there, which if that's the way that went down, in other words, McKenzie's next. If, this, if the game is 10-10 when you're at Clemson next week and Travis comes out, do we think they're going to Purdy or we think they're going to Milton? I still think they're going to Milton because of his experience. I would agree. We can debate that. But in this situation, if that's truly what Milton said, that's even more mature and professional, so to speak, than you might expect for him to just say, hey, let's get the let's get the future a chance out there. You know, um, I'll, I'll reference this. I don't know if I'll be able to articulate it uh, well because I'm going from memory and we know how my memory is. But I, I look at what is going on with Milton very closely and very akin to what went on with Weatherford. And I made a comment. In fact, Ira Chaffel, our friend Ira Chaffel and I were talking, and I made the comment about Weatherford that, that football was not his future. You know, he enjoyed competing. He enjoyed playing. He was going to learn a lot of life lessons. But football was not his future. Weatherford was going to do some other things, and we've already seen him start doing some other things. Um, Milton's going to do other things, Tommy. He's, he's not going to play football on Sundays. Now, he might have if that leg hadn't been injured, but, but his playing time is basically over unless it's a, a real unique situation. And who knows? It could be 10-10 in the fourth quarter and Travis gets hurt and he comes in and leads them to set up for a field goal or score, and then he goes down in lore, you know, for FSU forever. But we're going to read about McKenzie Milton two years and five years and 10 years from now because that kid has got a great future in front of him for the very reason you're pointing out about a conversation in the middle of game six or seven of a year that didn't go the way he wanted it to. I want to go a step further on that because especially nowadays we paint everything immediately as a success or a failure. It's boom or bust. And so some would say that Milton was a bust. It was a waste in the transfer portal. He didn't pan out. If you go back to last December, when Florida State had no momentum in recruiting and Mackenzie Milton was out there. Now, nobody knew at that point, was he going to be the same Mackenzie or not? But what we knew is it was a big damn deal when he chose Florida State. And shortly after that, a lot of other guys chose Florida State, including the best player on the team, Jermaine Johnson. I'm not saying he chose it because of McKenzie, but all of a sudden people around the country started looking and that goes for players too. And then what we'll never know is how much did Jordan Travis's game get elevated because he worked that much harder and learned that much from McKenzie Milton in the quarterback room and continues to learn from him, even if Milton doesn't play another down for FSU. And to your point about what's next for him, I don't know, he may have things, he may be too smart to go into coaching. But if he wants to stick with football, I think there's probably enough respect there from Norvell and Kenny Dillingham that Florida State would get him on the, the coaching career path if that's what he wants to do next. I, I have no doubt about that. Um, and I'm going to say this in a way that is meant to be humorous, but I think he's too smart to do that. That's what, what I just said. That's, that's what, what I just said. About. He may be smart enough to go into something besides coaching. It's like me. Uh, I'm trying to teach my son to be smart enough to do something besides this. Well, and, and let's not discount the fact that for the longest time, you know, for the 12 months, how long has he been here? Uh, 10 months? He has yeah, been, he's been competing to play. 
And that has benefited him, him being Milton. You know, he finished his rehab. He continued to work his craft. He had an opportunity. I'm not saying it's completely over, but somebody texted me during the ball game, why are they playing Chubba? Why are they not playing Milton? And I said, because Milton has no more eligibility left after this year. Now, again, I, I like your scenario. I'd love for him to come in a real tight situation and pull, um, pull Florida State out of the fire, so to speak. Oh, I'm having another senior moment. Help me, Tommy. Who, who came in and played when Winky got hurt? Marcus Outson. Rooster. Yeah. I mean, he will go down in history for that game against Florida and how close it was against Tennessee. He never played anywhere else. He never did anything else. But he's a true Seminole. And anybody that knows loves him. Mackenzie Milton is going to be loved by this university. Yeah, yeah. It's I just, just going to happen. There, there's so much there besides what his statistics end up being in terms of his value to, to Florida for coming in this year. Um, so let's let's turn the page on offense and and go to defense. And the segue I'll use, and I just mentioned Jermaine Johnson. Middle of the fourth quarter, I'm down where the offensive line sits, and I look up and there's number eleven, and he's fist bumping everybody, not the five starters on the OL every offensive lineman because they had all played at that point and the point I'm making here is that he's the best player on the field and he's my he's the best leader off the field so that guy's an absolute home run in the transfer portal in a game everybody knew this game was over before the second quarter started basically certainly at halftime and here he is down there fist bumping Zane Herring and guys that are getting their first chance to play uh I, ju I just thought that you don't see that all the time you do see offense and defense, you know, get together at some point. I thought in this game it was particularly noticeable to me that he was down there doing that. He, he has certainly proved uh, very valuable uh, on and off of the field. I want to make a comment, and, and some of our listeners may tune out on this, and you may roll your eyes at me. But um, I, when, when UMass came out with that kind of funky offense where they took uh, tackles and moved them out wide, uh, there's a long-standing great Seminole that we lost several years ago named Max Wettstein, uh, who was part of the Magnificent Seven in the, in the mid to late 60s at Florida State. And he became the head football coach at Leesburg High School. Well, somehow or another, he knew my coach, Bill Regal. And we played Leesburg on Thanksgiving Day, day at 10 o'clock in the morning for two consecutive years. Now, Wildwood was a very, very small school. Leesburg was very good then. Coach Ragel put that same offensive in. That's what we ran against Leesburg both of those years. And it's, it's a, it, it has a name. I can't remember it, but it, it was pioneered by somebody 40 or 50 years ago, and it's known. And it was just amazing to see Coach Bell put that in. And it's designed – it's designed – when you don't have personnel that can go up against your defense. And what kind of game did Jermaine Johnson have? I mean, he, because he was standing up and looking around most of the time. I mean, it, it, it was perfectly designed to take away Florida State's defensive ends. Didn't end up working very well, but it ended up accomplishing that purpose. And I'm sitting there going, Max, Max Wettstein is, is still cursing Bill Ragel underneath his breath because we came out with that and ran it pretty well and stayed pretty close with them until, until the last half of the, of, of, the, of the game both of those times. 
Well, the first time they used it, I was on the opposite side of the field, and I didn't notice that it was an offensive lineman out there. I was just counting numbers, and then I was counting the number of FSU guys defensively, and I'm thinking, we got an issue over here, fellas, if we don't adjust here soon. Then they snapped the ball, and I realized it was an OL out there, and I said, oh, okay, so that's why we're playing a little off. We're not worried about him running the post. But anyway, I, here's the biggest takeaway I had defensively, Keith, and it's really not just from this game. It's from the last couple of games. Florida State, if you look at what they've done in the red zone of late, so go back to Carolina. They had the interception in the end zone by Jarian Jones. They had a goal line stand in the fourth quarter. Then in this game, UMass, they got help from a penalty, but they go down the field, and boom, you turn them over with a pick in the end zone. Uh, they've done a nice job there. Uh, I think you could say just across the games period, the last three and a half games or so, but in the red zone, they've really done a nice job. I've been impressed with some of the schematic things that I've seen. Uh, I think Coach Fuller has started running, from a percentage standpoint, some more man coverage because I think he's finally gotten the young kids in there enough that he's comfortable enough with them. And believe it or not, they were in zone a couple of times and, and some linebackers and in in, in the nickel picked up people crossing their face. I mean, you didn't see a lot of wide open uh, – spaces uh they're, they're getting better at getting closer to people in the passing game so yeah i was impressed with that and and not to switch back and forth but you know fsu is uh six for six in the red zone offensively with five touchdowns so it's it's working on both sides of the field they were in zone coverage on the ball that jamie robinson picked off because it was trips to the left and I, I was standing there and i was watching to see how they would cover them and, and rather than get mixed up with all kinds of crossing routes, they were playing zone and the quarterback locked in on the receiver who had a step on whoever was behind him, but he didn't see Jamie Robinson at all. And I, I was almost in a direct line and he threw it right to him for that pick. So that was good to see. And then Keith and I talked to him after the game, Jarvis Brownlee Jr. You can go an entire career after dropping a sure pick six and never get gift wrapped another one and he got a chance a quarter later to atone for it. Keith, you know you saw it. If you get one like that, it's never happening again, and he got two. <laughs> I, had, I never had uh, an opportunity for a pick six in a game. I had one pick six in a scrimmage slash spring game, and that's my entire four-year career. I had one opportunity, and it was in a practice scrimmage. Never happened to me in a game. So you're exactly right. To get one is, first of all, unusual. And if you drop it, you very rarely get another one, much less in the same game. And because of that, uh, we're going to honor uh, Mr. Brownlee with our Hobson defensive performance of the game. Hobson Chevrolet up in Cairo. Get your new car the Hobson way. Drive up to Cairo, see the boys and ladies up there, and they'll uh, assure you, treat you right. I turned over 3,000 miles, by the way, on my new Silverado this week. Uh, the diesel one, the diesel 1500 I've been telling you about. I love it. If we did this show in person, you would have gotten to 3,000 miles more quickly. But since we just mail it in from the house over Zoom these days, Keith, you know, you're gonna, that thing's going to last even longer than it would have. <laughs> well, and uh, I was reading today, uh, they're coming out with the uh, Chevrolet Silverado uh, EV, electric vehicle, in either 23 or 24. So I'm going to make sure Hobson uh, – has one of those available when it comes time. I back and look at it too. I got you. I got you. And they're going to make it sound like a diesel too, right? 
Well, I don't care then. I can sneak up on people. <laughs> I've never been accused of sneaking up on anybody. <laughs> Uh, by the way, and I don't have the note in front of me, but every year of Mike Norvell's coaching career, he's had at least one defensive score. So that streak gets extended with the pick six today. Last year, Kando got one, and it happened every year Was he, he was at Memphis. The, the one thing we have to get back on track, though, is prior to last year, he'd also had a kick return for a score every year of his coaching career. And we haven't gotten it across midfield yet. We got we to break. Next week at, at Death Valley would be a nice time to get a pick, uh, not a pick six. Well, pick six would be nice, or a kick return or both. Tommy, not to get ahead, but it's been eight years since the 2013 drubbing, FSU drubbing of Clemson at Clemson, which was probably one of the most dominant performances and probably one of the worst defeats in Clemson history. And obviously that team is much different now and certainly has been much different in between. But it's hard to believe that it was just eight years ago that FSU was that dominant um, I hope they can recapture some of that. Uh, I think uh, I think they'll show well. I think they'll perform well. Obviously, Clemson will be heavily favored, uh, and certainly Clemson's not the same Clemson this year that they were maybe the last five years. Um, but it's just amazing how this college game does change in not not that long a period of time. I know eight years is eight years, but you know, goodness gracious. You're right. You're right. Let's. Let's save Clemson for just a, a little little while later in the show, Keith. What else do you want to talk about defensively? Same thing as the offense. They got a chance to play a lot of guys. Should point out that Sidney Williams was not available today, so they had to start a different safety. But but again, we and we've talked about this. The defense has looked better since Jamie Robinson has gone back to one of the safety spots, and Kevin Knowles has been the nickel. Uh, oh, I'm having a senior moment now, but the kid who transferred in from, from FAU who's been here a year or two, I'll, I'll come to it. He played in the nickel some uh, as well today. But anyway, they, they, they look coordinated. Uh, it doesn't mean that, you know, there were some, some crossing patterns that were connected on, but, but all in all, the last three games or so, I mean, Florida State's defense has done a pretty nice job, really since halftime of the Louisville game. Well, and you've got to remember, um, I think I counted there are 13 transfers on this team. And, and a good number of them, as we've talked about, are on the defensive side. And you've talked about a, a couple of transfers. You know, you, you, you don't – you have to unlearn the way you were doing, doing it and then relearn the new way to do it and then get good at doing it. Well, they've only played six or seven games. You know, many of them didn't weren't even here for spring game. So they're they're rounding into form. And as I mentioned earlier, I think Coach Fuller is getting a little better feel for when and how to mix up his defenses. And I think he's gotten uh, he and his staff have a little more confidence that the kids can can execute uh, what they're being taught. And I think uh, I think everybody um, we've talked about this in the past. I think everybody understands that. You know, they've been doing good things in practice, but they've just not been able to take it from the practice field to the game field. Well, now they're starting to do that. And, um, you know, again, it was UMass, but they held them to 248, 250 yards. They had four sacks. Um, you know, the, the third down conversion was very favorable defensively, and then I think it was six and nine offensively for FSU. So you start looking at the metrics and, and you're starting to see a defense that represents what we all think and hope and pray that they can get to. 
241 total yards on 61 plays for UMass. They averaged four yards per play. Florida State was at 9.8 per play. It was just, it was every bit as dominant as you would expect given the lopsided score on the board, which was 59 to three. I'm just going through the Rolodex in my head. By the way, Miko Dotson was the name that was escaping me when I was talking about corners, but um, I think it feels like they came out pretty healthy defensively too, unless I'm missing something. But Brendan Gant was available. Travis J played. They got to play a lot of different guys up front. Yeah, I mean, I think honestly, it was the best case scenario, Keith. You didn't. You weren't in a dogfight. You didn't have to extend your starters. You didn't have to dig deep in the playbook. You got to play young guys. You got to rest the starters. Came out pretty healthy. It basically checked all the boxes for what you want from a guarantee game like UMass to get you in position. And now we'll go to Clemson, Keith. Uh, for a game that's going to be more competitive and Florida State at the beginning of the year there wasn't anybody on the Florida State beat or in Florida State fandom that would have said oh yeah FSU's got a chance to win at Clemson now we're all looking at it and Clemson's losing right now 21 to 7 in the third quarter as we're talking to Pitt for whatever that's worth and everybody who had a pick picked Pitt this will not surprise so what you may end up with is Clemson with three losses and Florida State with four losses Right. And Florida State, after an 0-4 start to be sitting 3-4 and and chance to get to 500, Keith, I don't even want to look beyond that, but that would be pretty remarkable if you could do that. Uh, I read or heard, I guess I heard, that no team in the history of the ACC has ever lost their first four games and then won three consecutively. It's never happened before. Well, Florida State in general, this is the first three-game winning streak we've had, I think, since 2016, Keith. Think about that. Yep. Years ago since Florida State won three in a row. Yep. I, 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 I don't doubt it. Yeah. Maybe it was 2017. I think it was 2016. I don't know. I'd have to go back and count them up. Maybe, maybe I got the years mixed up. It's been a while. Um, yeah, well, the, th- the, the reality, and we'll talk about this in our show this week, Florida State's going to have a lot more trouble moving the ball offensively against that Clemson defense. They're not going to average 9.8 yards per play and put 59 on the board. But Clemson's offense is also not going to score 35 or 40. It's not the same Clemson team. It's, I think, to win the game, you're going to have to keep it in the 20s. Can you 24 or 27 and win that game there, 27 to 20, 27 to 24? And two months ago, none of us would have thought that was doable. Right now, I think most of us think it's not saying I'm betting my house on it, but it's not out of the realm of possibility. I didn't look because I don't want to, but go back. When, what was the score last time Florida State played at Clemson? 105 to two? Well, that was the game that uh, Gene left in the second quarter to go to London. And so I called that game for him. And when he handed it off to me in the sec- to start the second quarter, it was already 28 nothing, if memory serves. It wound up being about 45 to 14, somewhere in that range. But that's because Clemson played. Herb Street's kids in the second half. You know what I'm saying? Like everybody <laughs> Herb Street's kids were throwing the Dabo's kids. <laughs> yeah, yeah. <laughs> exactly. Uh, it, was, it was a name your score game, which is what we thought this one might be. And now it's not a name your score game. No. Now, this, this is one thing that has been true. And I think it was Maurice Smith. I talked to him after the game as well. No, I think it was Brownlee. But he talked about how hard this team fights. And for all its deficiencies, 
that has not been one of them this year, and that has continued. We're seven games in now. They're three and four. They're not going to the college football playoff, but they will fight and scratch and claw, and I guarantee you that that's what you're going to see next week at Clemson from this team. And, and as we've talked about when Florida State has been on top, uh, the two things you don't want to have happen when you're a dominant team or at least expected to be dominant and you're playing someone at home, you do not want to get behind early and you do not want them anywhere near you halfway through the third or, or till, till end of the third quarter. Well, the reverse of that is true. Florida State needs to some way, somehow come out early and get that Clemson crowd out of the game a little bit and then just fight and fight and fight and be close at the tail end of the third quarter. And you do those two things, you'll have an opportunity to, to potentially win a ball game. Clemson hasn't seen Jordan Travis either at this point, right? Correct. Remember from 2019 where we were? No, he wasn't a factor in 2019. So that answers the question. Um, we'll save Clemson talk for later this week, Keith, but uh, Florida State checked the box, did what they needed to. Don't we need to do a prime meridian performance? It is. It's time now for our prime meridian performance of the game. And we'll do something a little different, Tommy. I'm going to give the, the nod to the running back room. Uh, Jay Sean Corbin had 11 carries for 127 yards. Toa Philly had four carries for 63. Sean Ward, who we had on our show uh, on Wednesday, had four carries, um, um, eight carries, rather, for 57 yards. DJ Williams got in there. Ja'Kai Douglas got in there. So we're going one, two, three, four, five kids. They can define, they can figure out how they want to divide it up. But our performance of the game goes to the running back group. Speaking of performance, Prime Meridian Bank has been named best bank to work for since 2015 by the American Banker magazine. Want to bank where they greet you by name, smiling faces that offer you coffee and a cookie. I had one on Friday morning, by the way. When you walk in the door, well, that's what I call a great performance. Try my bank, Prime Meridian Bank, offices in Tallahassee, Crawfordville, and Lakeland, or visit them on the web at trymybank.com. Prime Meridian Bank, member FDIC. It was a really good cookie, too. <laughs> I, I that's a good choice to go with the running back room we could have gone with the offensive line as well because uh, they, they played well only surrendered two tackles for loss in this game total everything else was positive for uh, Florida State uh, one sack for minus four and then you flip it the other way Florida State got four sacks and several of those were with the second teamers and nine tackles for loss just total domination I don't think we need to talk about it anymore we'll flip the script I, I want to go watch Keep the, the upside of a noon game, I know fans don't love it, Keith. I actually get to watch the second half of the afternoon games and the entire night game, which doesn't happen a whole lot during the football season. So uh, that's where you'll find me this evening. I will be uh, in a different locale, but uh, doing the same activity. Understood. Understood. He's Keith. I'm Tom. We'll talk to you again midweek. Thanks, as always, for joining us on Front Row Knowles.